Morning, family. You know, I'm so encouraged. Um, Jill shared a word. Jill, can you share that word with us, please? Would you mind to come in and, and share it? You know, um, <clears throat> every Sunday before church, I wake up and I go and sit with the Lord and just spend time with Him and just uh, pray and just say, Lord, what do you want for us today, you know? And as I was in that place, Jill WhatsApped me a message. Please could you just share it? Morning, church. Um, so about two weeks ago during worship, I was shown a picture by the Lord, and God sometimes shows me very strange things, and sometimes you meant to immediately let someone know, or you hold on to it, and this I was told to hold on to it. And what I saw was um, the congregation worshiping, but a lot of people had a claw on their shoulder, like a horrible, ugly, knobbly claw, and the claw was pulling people back, like as if pulling you away from God or away from the church. And so I sat on that, and I obviously meant something, but could have just been for me. And then this morning in my quiet time, God showed me that I've completely forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> um, hang on, let me get my WhatsApp, and then I can... So, um, okay, and then something else that God had shown me and Mark was that we felt something was missing in the church, and it wasn't the spirit or the elders or what the leaders in the church were doing. It was something that the saints weren't doing. And um, Joe spoke last week about our comfort zones and being comfortable where we are. And it's not a good place to be. We need to be uncomfortable in the Lord. And we could even be comfortable in a stronghold that we don't even know we're in. Um, and then I prayed further, and God showed me Psalm 24. And I read the whole thing out, but what was highlighted to me and to Lucas was, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol, or swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Thank you, Jill. Thank you. So you know the beautiful thing about today is that it's followed by tomorrow. And uh, we've got church here together today, and then we've got church here tomorrow night, and Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. It's so exciting. The Lord has uh, laid that on, on our hearts as elders, and we're going to see you all for the next three nights as well. And so this preach is the beginning of a conversation that we're going to continue on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. How many of you were here last time when we did it? Was it good? It was amazing. So I want to encourage you, if at all you can, you know, be here. Um, that's a very interesting picture of people trying to move forward, but a claw on their shoulder holding them back, isn't it? And uh, the Bible teaches us the good news. The good news is that 
we were once dead in our sins. We were enemies of God. We were without hope. We were lost. We were dead in our sins. The Bible says that the, the wages of sin is death and separation from God because God is holy and He cannot stand sin. Sin cannot exist in His presence and sinners cannot be in the presence of God. That was our state. We were without hope in this world. We were without God. There was no reparations we could make. There was no payment we could, there was nothing we could do to come back to God. But God, in His great love for us, stepped out of heaven to the earth. Jesus, God, came that He might show the Father to us, that He might take on Himself the punishment for our sins. And He died on the cross, and He rose again, and He defeated sin and Satan and death and Hades. And the good news is that what Christ has done is ours if we will believe. And if we will accept it. <coughs> How many of us are there? We, are, we believe. And we have accepted Christ. And we are doing our best at the moment to follow Christ. Right. We're there. And yet, often, it's preached that that's the gospel through and through. It's the beginning of the gospel. It's the beginning of what becomes a lifelong journey in following Christ. And the Bible teaches us that the journey is like a narrow road with a narrow gate that we enter, that the kingdom of heaven is like following Christ, following the spirit of Christ down a narrow path which is uphill and difficult and hard. And many of us didn't hear that part the first time when we heard the gospel. And so we put up our hand and just said, we, I, want to, I believe, yes, I want my sins forgiven. I want to go to heaven. And yet we, we weren't told about what the road is like. And so we begin along the road and it becomes difficult. And there are a million distractions and thorns in the, in the path that want to distract us and take us off the path or hold us or keep us stationary and not to continue any further as we follow Christ. And in this path of following Jesus, unfortunately, we find that it is not a, uh, a pleasant walk on the beach, but it is a long, arduous, that means dangerous, path filled with pitfalls and landmines and attacks from what is a very real enemy of our souls. 
And that enemy, enemy of our souls um, is cunning and shrewd. The Bible talks in Genesis chapter 3 about the snake. And it says that he was the most cunning and the most shrewd of all the animals. And he comes to Eve like he comes to every Christian who chooses to follow Christ. And he starts to um, unleash his attacks on us. Jesus described him as the father of lies. As the great dragon who leads the whole world astray, off the path, as the serpent who deceives the whole world. And you can see him being himself. From Genesis 3, he slithers into the garden, he slithers up to Eve, and he starts in a particular way to distract her and tempt her and lie to her. And he starts by questioning the word of God to her. Did God really say that you may not eat of any of the trees of the garden? I mean, he, he, he thought about that one before he said it. Because God had said, you may eat of all of the fruit in the garden except of that tree you may not eat it or touch it and so the devil comes and he confuses the whole thing by saying did God really say you can't eat of any of the fruit can you see he's causing confusion and he's causing doubt and he's lying and he's questioning the word of God and the character of God and the commandment of God. And we find in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, much later on, around verse 9, that the Bible speaks about a time that is coming. In fact, let's go there. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians, um, Gabby, chapter 2. I'm opening my Bible here so I can tell you where to go. Verse, oh, let's just read from the beginning of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it says, now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered up to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until something happens. That day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. Say rebellion. And the man of lawlessness, say lawlessness, is revealed. The one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. 
He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you all about this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. Say, lawlessness, already at work secretly. And it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Say, holding it back. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, and the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan. Say, to do the work of Satan. Are you, are you able to speak with me? This is biblical. It says, do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Nearly, Declan. So nice having you. This man will do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception. Say, every kind of evil deception. John? Say, every kind? John? Of evil deception. That's uh, beautiful. You'll remember that now. Okay? Every kind of evil deception. To fool those, say fool those, on their way to destruction. Because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived. Say greatly deceived. And they will believe these lies. Say, believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. The Bible says, I took you all the way from the garden. And now it says that there's a time coming when there will be a great rebellion against God. A great rebellion. People will choose to rebel against God. And they will be tempted to do that. They will be fooled into doing that. They will be deceived or tricked into doing that by this man of lawlessness. And he will have great false power and false miracles. And he will deceive many. And people will be handed over by God because they've been deceived to even greater deception. And those people, the Bible says there, will be condemned because they enjoy evil instead of believing the truth. Enjoy evil instead of believing the truth. I find in my own life, this is the greatest nobly claw that goes into me and pulls me back or holds me back from following Christ. You know what it is? 
enjoying evil instead of believing the truth. So at, at least it's relevant for me. If you think about, Joe got up and he said, what is your Jericho? What is the thing you can't overcome? And I believe that Jesus wants to come and just as he's going to destroy the man of lawlessness, it says by the breath of his mouth and by the splendor of his coming, he wants to destroy the claw of the enemy that is holding us back by the breath and the word of his mouth and by the splendor of his appearing. In the same way as he will destroy that man of lawlessness, he wants to destroy the lawlessness in our lives by breathing his spirit into us. The Bible says that we who are sons of God Follow the Spirit of God, the breath of God. We are guided by the Spirit of God. And therefore we follow and we do the things that please God. But those who are of the flesh, we do not follow the Spirit of God. We follow the desires of, and the sinful desires of the flesh. And from those, from the flesh, we reap destruction. Can you see there's two paths that are described. The narrow, difficult, hard path that is following Jesus, where the Spirit of God is, where, where the truth of God leads us and guides us. And then there is the wide path, the easy road that leads to hell and destruction. And the way is easy, and it's full of evil pleasure. Moses came before the people of Israel and he said, I set before you today, on the one hand, life and blessing, and on the other hand, death. What did he say, Ed? Curses and death. Choose life. Choose this day whom you will follow. But like JP showed us, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The problem is, it's not as easy as that. It's really, really, really hard. <laughs> and do you know why it's so hard? Because we have the whole, we have Satan and his whole army of demons, the other gods, the powers of darkness and the principalities and the rulers and authorities in, this, in the evil realms that are out to win our hearts, win our affections, win our love and our obedience. And we have Yahweh, the Creator God, who loves us. On the other hand, calling us, saying, come to me, love me, worship me. And so it's a fight.
It's a fight. It's a battle between the two paths, between the two uh, whom will we worship? Whom will we obey? I don't mean will we give our lives to Christ. For most of us, we want to give our lives to Christ. We, we've done it already. We've been baptized. We've, we, we've, we've done all the things we should. The, the question is, now that we are His, whom will we follow? Does that make sense? And this is the lie. That once you've put up your hand, once you've prayed the sinner's prayer, you've, you've, once you've been baptized, you know, you're safe. You're safe. You did what you had to do. You've got your ticket. It's in your back pocket. We'll see you in heaven one day. What you do between now and then doesn't matter. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a great deception. And many of us fall for it, and the claw goes in, and we either just settle. I, I, I'm his. I'm okay. I'll just stay here with this claw. Or we leave Christ's entirely the bible in the bible jesus was teaching the people and he preached a parable and he said there was a farmer that went out to sow and the seed fell on four kinds of soil the one soil was the path it was hard and as soon as the seed landed on it satan the bird came and stole it away and those people, the, the, the word comes, it lands on them and it bounces off and the, the devil immediately snatches it away and it's gone. There's no, the, the seed doesn't even go in. I don't think many of us are the path. The second soil was the rocky ground. And, and, and the seed falls on the rocky ground and the Bible says those whose hearts are like rocky ground are those who hear the word and they accept the word but because there's, it's very shallow there's no depth to it and so the seed goes down it hits the rock it never takes root in their lives and it dies and it withers and, and, and what is the example of the rocky ground what was the explanation of the rocky ground anyone The heat and the trials, when the sun rose, it withered. And so, so when, when difficulty came, is that right? Persecution. Okay. Because of the Word of God. Thank you, Declan. See why you had to be here this morning. The third type of soil was thorny soil. I think we need to read it. Gabby, bring up the thorny soil. That's a test. 
Where is the thorny soil? Someone help her. Matthew chapter 13, verse 20. I'm going to read to you the rocky one and then the thorny one. The rocky soil represents those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go down very deep. At first they get along fine, but then they wilt as soon as they have problems or are persecuted because they believe the word. Spot on, Declan. Verse 22, have we found it? There we go. <clears throat> 22, one more. The rocky soil, no, the thorny ground, represents those who hear and accept the good news, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares of this life and the lure of wealth or other things, and so no crop is produced. So we respond, we hear the good news, we believe, we accept Jesus, we are baptized, and then He and His Word become crowded out by life. I told you the other week, uh, the other Sunday, that I was having a coffee with a friend of mine, and I was telling him how in December, the life of God, the truth of God, the call of God, the value of God, the treasure of God for me was crowded out by life, by the responsibilities, by the, the lure of what could be. And he said to me, it's not the lure of wealth and stuff like that, that that are the issue for me. For me, it's the troubles of life. It's the difficulty of life. It's the, will I get through? And this scripture says it's both. The good and the bad of life come in and they crowd out the word of God, the life of God, the call of God, the truth of God becomes overwhelmed by the world, the struggles of this world, or the temptations of the world. And it says, and no crop is produced. Let me ask you a question, and I'm going to bring it to a close. Remember, we've got three more days. This is just an intro. It's the, it's the taster. What do you call it? Starters. Entrees, there we go, for the posh, for the posh, eh? In French, entrée. Okay. The Bible says there was no crop from the path, there was no crop on the rocky soil, there was no crop on the thorny ground. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, it is my Father's will that you bear fruit and fruit that will last, that endures, that remains. The fourth soil is the good soil. It received the seed and it bore fruit. 
some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Which one of those four soils, which of, not which one, which of those four soils are people that went to heaven? Those of you who think the path, the path people, the path hearts, go to heaven, stand up. Or put your hand up, brother. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. Just No? No, okay. Those who think the thorny ground people, remember they heard the word, they received it with joy, they responded with gladness. Do you think those go to heaven? Anyone? Okay, Zach, well done. Conroy, do I need to give him that? He didn't do that, I'm just playing. Those who think maybe the, the thorny, the roots went down at least before they were strangled, go to heaven. Anyone? The third soil. Zach? Yes, okay. And those who think that only the fourth soil goes to heaven. Okay, I can see there's lots of you now going to put your hand up no matter what I say. <laughs> that's okay. You don't know, that's okay. I, my view is you're only going to find soil number four in heaven. That's my view. Because it's the only one that produced fruit. And Jesus said you will know a tree by its fruit. No fruit. Does that make sense? Now most of this we know, but let's make it a bit practical. So we know there's a good news. We know God has saved us. He sent Christ. He's died for us. We know that the call is to follow Christ with all of our lives. We know there's an enemy. We know that he lies. And we're going to look at some of that in a little bit more detail, maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We know that his strategy is lies, that his lies are cunning, they're shrewd. And, and not only that, we know that we have a flesh. We have this part of us that wants sin, that eats sin, that loves it, that, that th thrives on it. And we know that there's a time coming when many's hearts will be turned away from God, will rebel against God, that there will be lawlessness. There will be those who break the law of God. Can I? Yes, I can. Nearly finished. The Bible says that the man of lawlessness will deceive people, will fool them, will trick them. And he will do so with four lies. Would you like to know what those lies are? The first lie. There is no law. There is no law. He's the man of lawlessness. 
There is no moral law. We are not accountable to God. We can live however we choose. If you want to be a Christian, be a Christian. Just don't bug everybody else. It's okay. You can believe that. You can believe in Allah. You can believe in Buddha. You can believe in Confucius. You can be confused as you want. You can, you can do anything. You can be an atheist. Just let you, There's no law. There's no moral right or wrong. There's no king of the universe who will come and judge us. That's the first lie. There's no law. The second is he will say that he is God. The Bible says he will even enter the temple of God and he will convince people that he himself is God. The second lie is that Yahweh is not God, that Jesus is not God, that other gods are equal, are even better. We want to relegate the real one true God to some other, it's an option. That's the second lie. The third lie is that the truth is not worth loving. It's worthless. It doesn't have anything to commend it to our affections or to our lives. The truth doesn't matter. In fact, what is truth? There's no such thing as truth. That's the third lie. And the last lie is that unrighteousness or sin is more pleasurable than the way of truth. Do you remember they were condemned because they loved evil pleasures instead of believing the truth? Does that make sense? And I believe that that enemy is the one that has his claw in us with one or more of those lies. We want to make it practical, right? And I think it's good that we, that we shout and we, we come to God and we, and, and we trust Him to demolish. But the strongholds that the enemy has, the Bible speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, and it says the weapons of our warfare are not um, uh, worldly or fleshly weapons. They're not carnal, but they are mighty in God. They are powerful in God in the tearing down of strongholds. Have you put that up already? There we go. With these weapons, we break down every proud argument that keeps people from knowing God. With these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas and we teach them to obey Christ. Please continue. Six. With these, um, and we will punish those who remain disobedient after the rest of you have become loyal and obedient. I would like to describe a stronghold to you quickly, and then we're going to finish. A stronghold is like, has anyone ever seen, there's this picture uh, uh, in the Isle of Man. Uh, Gabby, can you look on the internet? I want a picture. It's called the, what? It's out there in the harbor, on, in the sea. It's the uh, refuge, something, Tower of Refuge. refuge. Uh, just search on the internet, Tower of Refuge. Have you found a picture of it, an image? There it is, the Tower of Refuge. It is a stronghold. Can you see it's made up of bricks? 
And it's like a little castle, and it's got these turrets and walls, and there's a door there that doesn't, isn't there anymore, okay? But this is what happens in our lives, is the enemy comes and he builds a stronghold. That's why you heard the words about Jericho and the walls coming down, okay? And he comes brick by brick. A brick is an idea. It's a single lie. It's a question about God or about you or about your value or your worth. Or does God love you? Or does he care for you? Or if he cared for you, how did he let your grandma die? Or, and it's just a brick and he gives it to you and you take the brick. Now what we're supposed to do with bricks like that is we're supposed to look at it and say, this does not accord with the knowledge of Christ and throw them back at him. But we don't. We hold on to the brick and one little nail of the claw goes in. And the next thing is, he comes with a second brick. He says, you remember that God doesn't care for you because if he did, your grandma wouldn't. Look what happened to your tire today. You got a flat tire and you prayed and you still got a flat tire. He doesn't care. Second brick. And he starts to give you one idea after the next. One lie after the next. One lie after the next. In the same way he did in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say the next thing, the next brick was, you surely won't die. Now you're holding two. And three, and four, and five. And he keeps giving you bricks, and eventually you can't hold them enough, you start putting them down. And you start building, and you start building a line of bricks is what is called an argument. One idea, the next idea, the next idea, the next idea. One idea is an argument. And then you put one argument upon another, upon another, line upon line, and it builds a wall. And a wall is a? You build that around yourself. And it's the lies of the enemy that have now circled you and you think that you're safe inside that stronghold. But you're actually bound. You are in prison to the lies of the enemy. Jesus said the enemy comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And there are some of you in your relationships, in your marriages, that are in strongholds and you believe that it is impossible that these things will ever come down. There are some of you emotionally that have been hurt in the past. You've been maybe even abused in the past and the enemy has lied to you off the back of what happened to you and you've built a stronghold around yourself because if you just retreat in there, you'll be safe but you're actually bound. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the way that we tear down strongholds is we take one brick out at a time, usually. Sometimes God comes and he just goes, and he blows the house down.
But most of the time, it's by recognizing, hold on, let me just look at that brick again. What is that brick? No, 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 that is not. And you take it off and you chuck it. And suddenly, as you start removing brick upon brick, you find that you can see out again. You can see clearly again. You can see God again. You can see each other again. And you can become set free from the enemy's lies that have held you in bondage for so long. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop there. That is the truth. One of the lies that I know he has in us is the lie that for evil pleasure it's better than the truth of God. That your life won't be of any satisfaction to you if you just follow this dry, empty path. Because this one is full of pleasures and joys and good experiences and life. You know, and that lie you've believed. And it's the lie that keeps pulling you away from Christ, from His Word. And I believe that today God wants to begin the process of dismantling that lie in order to set you free. Amen.